Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 99. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about collaborating for results with my special guest, Dr. Judy Barber. You know, this past Christmas break, I took my family to see the newest Star Wars movie. And if you haven't seen it, please note the following spoiler alert. But in the opening scene... The Jedi in training, Rey, has journeyed to the planet where the retired Luke Skywalker has hidden himself away from the the universe and its troubles. She's climbed the heights to his hidden village, and she finds him meditating on a cliff overlooking the sea. And she introduces herself, standing there, lightsaber in hand. I'm from the Resistance, she says. Leia sent me. We need your help. And to her surprise, and ours as viewers, Luke walks away. And so begins the important conflict of this movie as she tries to find a way to convince Luke to train her and help save the rebellion. I had that opening scene in my mind this past week as I traveled two hours from Tulsa to the backwoods in Grove, Oklahoma, as I was on my way to see a Jedi master in education. And although I didn't have to climb any cliffs, I did wind my way up a long driveway to a beautiful home nestled on a bay above Grand Lake. And standing on the front porch was Dr. Judy Barber and her husband, Dennis. And after a cup of coffee and some catching up, I asked Judy if I could interview her. This was her 50th year as an education leader, and I had sat under her teaching and coaching in my earliest years as a school administrator, and I couldn't wait for an opportunity to share her experiences and her thoughts with you. She had already agreed days before to let me capture an audio recording of our conversation. So who is Dr. Judy Barber? Dr. Barber not only has finished 50 years as an educator, but she has been a teacher, a curriculum instructor, an arts and education coordinator, a principal, a director of curriculum and instruction in Norman Public Schools. And since her retirement, she's continued working as a special instructor and adjunct professor with the University of Oklahoma and most recently as the president of her own school district consulting company, Collaborating for Results Incorporated. She has a long history of great instruction, teaching, and leadership development. And as I transition to this conversation with Dr. Barber, I just want to encourage you to listen closely. In fact, since recording this, I have listened back to this conversation three times because I just glean something every single time that I didn't hear before and that I need to write down or that I need to think about. And the essentials that she covers in this conversation are ones that I plan to copy and place in front of me this coming year as reminders of the kinds of essentials I need to keep in mind in school leadership. Let me encourage you to listen in, and at the end of the conversation, I will come in with some closing thoughts. I am so honored and privileged to have the opportunity to sit with Judy in her beautiful home in Grove, Oklahoma, to have this conversation, first of all, to celebrate 50 years of serving as an educational leader in Oklahoma, but also just because I would love to ask her some questions today that will help each of us think about the ways that we can grow too. So first of all, Judy, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Why don't you fill on fill in the gaps 
on that introduction and tell us anything else about yourself that you think is important for listeners to know about who is Judy Barber. Well, I don't know how long you have for this <laughs> conversation, but I guess just to start that is the importance of education. And um, it's just all through my fi- fiber. And the people that are, are truly faithful to our profession is extremely important to me. I haven't found a time in my career that wasn't uh, didn't fit for me. So it's just plain been fun. So I'm anxious to tell you about it. Well, Judy, there's so many things that I want to explore with you. And the first question I have is a question that I've been thinking about since the last time that we talked. We were together about a month ago. And as I was speaking to you and thinking about your experience with education, how you have watched changes in education, and yet you've also seen things within our profession that haven't changed. My first question that I wanted to ask you is, what would you say are timeless truths that apply for education today just as much as they did at the start of your career? Uh, well, first I'd say that there are more things that are the, mm, I'll say eternal truths, <laughs> that are the same, absolutely the same. But to name one is that the parents love their children. Lots of times in our conversations as professionals, it doesn't sound like we think that. We're trying to think about, well, what are we going to do with this kid? And uh, the parents are, are kind of in the way. We talk about their homes, and all that's true. But in the poorest of poorest homes, in the home, kids that are neglected the most, those parents still love those kids. They don't seem to act like it in those cases. But you uh, try to tell some, a parent about their kid that's, that's uh, wrong, they'll bow up. Parents just do love their kids, and we should remember that. So that's been true, I guess, back to the cave days. I'd, I'd also put this piece, that a strong education bears us well in reading. We've got to read. We've got to know how to read. We've got to know how to do mathematics, basics. And yet, the social studies, the science, the fine arts are the pieces that allow kids to grow in their capacity of understanding. But things hasn't changed is this strong need for a education that is a wide education. So I'd mention that as well. Um, a third one is this. One of the things that has changed is that our profession now has research uh, that we can depend on and it's articulated. Not so much when I first began teaching. But the kinds of things that it's pointed out are the same. So I guess I'll use the nine essential elements of schools. Those pieces are, are it's, they outline the, our business. They've always been prevalent. We have to have a curriculum. We need to evaluate an assessment, effective instruction, people working together to create the school, working with parents, learning together, professional development, strong leadership, the kind of organization we put together, and comprehensive plan. Those are, those are the nine elements. And they describe the business of schools. They described the business of schools before. It's just now it's more articulated. So I guess those three are the ones that I'd bring forward. So I'm curious, Judy, on those nine elements that you just mentioned, how do you identify those nine elements? Are those elements that you've identified through your research, or is those are those nine elements that you know are common practices? Because I know those are nine elements you're committed to. How how have you how have you compiled that list of what you consider to be those critical nine elements that every school needs to be practicing to be effective? Well, they come to me through research, through our professional research. But maybe uh, 
20 years ago that began to show up in the literature. And uh, now, if you went to um, the WISE tool from the federal government, those would all be laying out there. It's, it's, the research has just underlined them. Now, here's a, here's a piece that I think as school people we don't always do, is we might read that research, and we might begin to use some of it, but we don't necessarily keep it in front of ourselves as a rubric. And so for me, those nine, I just keep on my computer, <laughs> on cards, so if I'm looking at a school organization, I always go back to that list. So what's present, what needs to be refined, what needs to be introduced. That's so fantastic. So Principal Matters listeners, just so that you have the same notes that I do, because I'm going to be taking a lot of notes in this conversation. Those nine essential elements are one, curriculum, two, evaluation and assessment strategies, three, instructional strategies, four, learning communities, five, family and community connections, six, professional development, seven, leadership, eight, organizational structures and resources, and nine, comprehensive planning. When you look at a list like that, it's easy to see how overwhelmed it can be to be an effective school leader, but it's also encouraging to realize that those common practices have worked in education for a long time, and they'll continue to work and education for a long time, which leads me to my second question, Judy, which is what ways do school leaders need to be adapting to changing times? Because obviously we still need commitments to those essentials. Schools can't stop being committed to those essentials. And I know that in my conversations with school leaders, sometimes we talk a lot about the things that we're most passionate about, but you can't avoid those timeless essentials. But where do school leaders need to be changing as you've spent time? Because you've never stopped being in schools. You've been in education as a teacher, as an administrator, and now training educational leaders in your profession. What do you see needs to be something where we need to be self-reflecting on, okay, this may be an area where I need to adapt or change? Well, it's not so much the what that has to change. That is the list, those nine. Uh, Now, how it's done is different. First of all, it's digital. (laughs) The way we communicate with each other now, as compared to those many low many years ago, and I'm thinking about purple ink and and, uh, turning that crank to get those copies, fax machine, all of that's gone. And so we have to commit ourselves to learning to be a digital communicator. And when I hear, and I have heard principals or superintendents say, I don't have a computer on my desk. I don't need that. I've heard it. I just think, oh, no, no, no. You got to get past that. And, and it's hard. I mean, you really do have to, to apply yourself to learn uh, how to communicate in those ways. The other is this, is becoming an open-minded, open-ended thinker. It seems as if, I don't know how, this was not true for me as I was growing in, in our profession, but it seems as if We've almost been taught that there's this list, and uh, as administrators, we're to, to run that list and be very autocratic about it, and this is the way you do it. And, and that won't get it in today's world. I mean, you have to really be very open-minded, uh, listening, watching, to create a, a vital school in today's world. It, it can't be autocratic. This can't be. And... Um, the third, I guess. While I'm, well, that was kind of on the negative side of seeing that. I also see other things, and as administrators in schools, we have to to share that leadership. 
it's a change that has to occur. So the principal now is, is not, um, so well, I'll say father, because often that was the case, or mother, and dictates what happens in the school. You've got to build the capacity of the people in your school. And they, and to do that, you've got to give them opportunities to be in situations they weren't in before and to practice leadership. So I think I'd say those three, uh, digital communication, open-ended thinking, and applying shared leadership. Thank you, Judy. That's powerful. I'm, um, as we're talking, I'm just so encouraged because it's great to have a conversation with someone who's been with leaders long enough to see what still works, but where we need to be adapting and changing. My next question would be this. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself as a beginning school leader, because a lot of Principal Matters listeners are principals or aspiring leaders or education leaders, people who are dedicated to leading schools well. If you could go back and talk to yourself when you were a beginning school leader, what advice would you give that might help Principal Matters listeners in their own educational experience? Okay, I think I'd bring, I think I'd bring two things up. Uh, first of all, is that you have to be consistent. You can't, you, let's go back to those nine essential elements. So you, you, you pick your areas and you work them consistently. Doesn't have to, you don't have to do huge things, but you got to know where you're going in each one of them and be very consistent and understand it is a system. You could, if you, let's go back that list. So if you did, you wouldn't just do one in year one, two in year two. You, it's, uh, uh, they have to all be going on all the time. So you have to understand the system and be consistent in it. Then the other piece is this. I, I, we really do need to change uh, how we understand our work with parents. We have to understand that if, if we can create that straight partnership where together we're talking about what's best for this child and listen to them as much as trying to teach them. And, and there are things they need to learn, but there are things we have to learn too. They can tell them about the family. So seeing parents as not just people who do school fairs, and that's great, uh, who come to help us and read with kids, that's great. But really understanding the bonding to provide a, a partnership for the child's best interest. Judy, can you think of a story in your own experience where you learned how to create a better bond with parents? Well, I, as a, I was a very young principal. I, was, I think I was 27 when I, I had my own school. And I was really lucky in that the parents that I had uh, seemed to be open to have conversations. Therefore, we grew together in relationships. I had a lot of parents who didn't think I did a very good job, too. <laughs> but the ones that that did, I guess I'll tell this story because it's one of my favorites. So I had a family, and they had gone to, so I was in Norman, Oklahoma. They had gone to New York City for a vacation and had a great time. They had three boys. They came back, and the youngest boy, they had bought T-shirts at the uh, Metropolitan. Youngest boy's T-shirt probably was not a T-shirt that ought to be worn in school as I remember it had a nude on it and etc so the mom brought him to my office before school started and said maybe you should talk to I'm gonna say Nate that wasn't his name but would you talk to Nate and I said well Nate tell me about how you got this shirt he told me all about trips great and I said okay so you really have two choices here you can wear that shirt and and I don't know what's going to happen if you do, but I, I really think you're going to get a lot of teasing. You've got a lot of attention. They're not going to understand about the trip, I don't think. But 
there could be that choice. Well, so Nate, I think you have really three choices. So you could go home and change, or you could stay and just turn that shirt inside out. I don't know what you want to do, but you should think about what your, you want your day to be. And so the mom's sitting there listening to me and, and smiling and so on. Well, so he decided he's going to turn his shirt inside out. He had a great day. And the mom called me at the end of the day and said, that was magic. And I said, well, I don't know about magic, but it certainly came off the top of my head. But it was, it's a great example of really working with parents, you know, truly in a partnership way. She let me carry the uh, conversation but she, but she brought him. I mean, you know, she she was um, cementing that relationship. I guess that's such a great story. And let me tell you one that was, um, in my experience, the opposite of that. So I can remember this was when I was still in the classroom. Actually, this is a first year teaching story. I um, had a boy in my uh, one of my classes who just was not paying attention, being distractive. Um, not uh, participating, and, and it was beginning to irritate me, and I couldn't find a way to get him to to stay on task. And so I finally decided, okay, I've done everything I can think of. I'm going to call mom now. So after school, I, I um, picked up the phone, called his mother, and I just began to go through the list of things that I was upset about with him. And I was, I mean, I was waxing eloquent. When I finished my spiel, and she said to me, can I ask you a question, Mr. Parker? And I said, yes. And she said, do you like my son? And and it was the first time that I realized looking in the mirror that I had communicated nothing to her except my frustration and, and and how upset I was. And, and I remember after hanging up on that conversation, how corrected I felt, but also it was the lesson that I began to think of. How do I begin to think more like a parent? I wasn't a parent at the time, but how do I begin to look at their children from their perspective because when I called them and it was a veteran administrator who I, I relayed that story to and he said, well, let me give you some, some advice. Stop using the word problem when you, yeah. when you talk to parents. It's, tell them, I, I have a situation with your child and I know you care a lot about him and so do I. Let's find a solution together for him. And just the, the change of that mindset began to change my relationships with, with parents too. But you're right. I think sometimes we, we perceive that parents aren't our allies when it comes to reaching students, that somehow we as a team, we're, we're communicating as administrators or teachers and students, but we're leaving out someone in that conversation that's so integral to the success of our schools, and, and that's parents. So the next question is this. You know, those are that's great advice for a beginning administrator in terms of the balance that they need to have, the, the consistency they need to have, the perspective they need to have on parent relationships. But what advice would you give to a veteran administrator, someone who's been doing this for a while that maybe feels like they've learned a lot? What's next for them? What, what advice would you have for them? Well, we're doing this interview in Oklahoma, and it's a time in Oklahoma where the uh, funds are totally depressing. Hadn't changed much in Oklahoma. We've had some spikes. I remember when I first began to teach in 63, they asked me to sign my card to walk out, OEA. Like, of course, you know, as a young teacher, you don't want to do that. But here we are. It's the same thing. We have had some, some good years where we've had some really good, solid work from the legislature that not only created more pay for teachers, but great standards. But now we're back. Uh, and it's a depressing time. It's a depressing time for teachers. It's a depressing time for administrators. So what advice? We still have the same charge. 
Our mission is the same, is to uh, educate these kids. They still need it. They, it just so happens that they're right here in the midst of it all, and so are we. But for administrators that are, are, have been in the field for a while, it's pretty easy to get down and, and miss the mission. And so you just have to put it aside. You have to keep that positive attitude because that's what you want in your culture. Most certainly we have to be more political to try to change things in our state. And of course, in other states, it's often the same. But but you got to run your school. You've got to continue to build the capacity of your teachers. You have to, to give your best just as if you had the state behind you. I love that. Thank you. Judy, one of your strengths has been helping other leaders grow. And that's the first time that I met you was when I was a young administrator in Bixby, Oklahoma. You came in and provided professional development for school leaders. And, and really, I'm just going to say this to you directly. You were, it was one of the first times that I had ever been in a leadership training where you encouraged such brutal honesty of, of trying to just really talk about where are we struggling and where have we lost trust or where do we know we have to improve if we're going to really be effective in, in our school leadership. And in some ways, I think it was uncomfortable for the people in that room. And in other ways, it was liberating to be able to actually honestly talk about, I struggle or I'm really overwhelmed in this area of my leadership. And so you've spent a lot of time helping leaders grow their capacity and I know, as I'm talking to some leaders, that they have the desire to do the same thing as they're beginning to mature in their leadership. If if you're talking to a leader who wants to grow his or her capacity in developing leaders and other leaders, what advice would you have for that person that, that wants to begin to grow in, okay, I'm ready to give back now? What advice would you have for that person? Well, first, um, I think I'd correct this language when you said, I'm ready to give back now. No, you start that way. And it has to do with, with building a culture. And you hear that all the time. But it can't be stressed enough how very, very important it is. So I'm just going to take a second and talk about the school I was in. I was there 19 years. And we built a, a very strong culture. And I'll talk a little bit more about how that was done. But it was so strong <laughs> that those teachers now still come for four days in the summer, we invite everybody that's ever been there. This was our 36th lake trip. <laughs> and uh, no, not schoolwork, just talking, just coming together as educators, having fun. They have created a, what they call chapter two. And the people who have retired from schooling and uh, get together twice a year. And again, just for the fellowship of the peace and an understanding of uh, who we are. So when you build a culture like that, you know it wasn't happenstance. So I'm going to go back to the fact of, of reaching to the uh, research, because there's a lot about it. And I'm going to go back to the consistency and the systemness of it. So one of the pieces that research came to uh, me early on was uh, called Good Seeds Grow in Strong Cultures. And it laid out 12 norms that have to be present in a strong culture. And their collegiality, experimentation, high expectations, trust and confidence, ta uh, tangible support, reaching to the knowledge basis, that's the, that's the research part, appreciation and recognition, caring, celebration and humor, involvement in the decision making, protection of what's important, traditions, and honest, open communications. So 
with that, I want to stress again, so this was a rubric that was always in front of me, and I would look, I call this now, I didn't then, but I call it now reading your organization. So I would pay attention to what was going on and look to see uh, what are we doing, what are we not doing, uh, how can we learn to let go and experiment a little bit more. And it has to do with listening and letting go of the reins. Um, Not so easy sometimes, not so easy for some people. But if you're going to build a strong culture and shared leadership, you've got to do those things. You've got to create more dialogue than commands. You got to do more listening (laughs) than talking. Uh, You have to create respectful, authentic relationships, which again is that relationship piece. You have to understand that adults learn through experiences. Adults don't learn from just reading a particular passage or you telling them one. You've got to create some kind of experience for them to be a part of if you really want them to get it. Or you talk about the experiences that they have. You know, you, you deal with the kinds of things that are coming along. you got to model the way. Uh, the literature now talks about you got to talk the walk. You know, a few years we were talking about walk the talk, and absolutely that's right. But you got to talk the walk. You've got to get the language that you, you want the uh, people to be thinking about. It's got to be in front of them all the time. I guess I'll tell you a couple of stories. So one of the things that I did that I'm not advising this, <laughs> but I did, is that every uh, April Fool's Day, the teachers knew they were to come to the lounge first and I would have some concrete materials like uh, paper cups, uh, like feathers one year, like uh, straws. And they were to teach every lesson that day with those concrete materials. And they, were to, and they were to teach the lesson, whatever they had planned. They were to teach that lesson, but those materials were to be in it. And then they were to write their, a lesson plan up from it at the end of the day. And then we'd end up with a booklet that, that had this creativity in it. And I'm not going to say they enjoyed that, but they tell about it a lot. And I didn't know at the time, I really was doing it for fellowship and collegiality. But, uh, but now, as I listen to people talk about it, it truly was uh, endorsing creativity and allowing them to expand. So doing off the wall stuff. And, and I hear from people now too, well, we can't do that because we, you know, we got these tests, we got these tests. I'm afraid that these tests while the the nature of them is right, and we absolutely have to have accountability, have forced us into a limited curriculum and um, schools that are really not places of total learning. I have this conversation a lot when I'm meeting with principal groups or teacher groups. They There's this constant tension over, you know, I know I have all these testing standards to reach. Um, how do I still have room for creativity? How do I still have room... Judy, I know your story, but I want you to expand a little bit on what you were just talking about in in growing other leaders, because as a school principal, um, how many of your teachers within that building ended up becoming school leaders in their own practice? Well, you know, I really lost track, but I know (laughs) I know it's over eight and um, and it's a delight. Absolutely uh, delight to understand that and enjoy it. Uh, we have had in our school two dissertations written about the leadership in our school. And, and I don't really mean me. It, it was really the culture, which allowed this openness of thinking, well, I might, well, I could do this. 
and letting them see the direction we were going, letting them see through words, letting them see and talking together. And I don't think at the time I understood that growing of that lead, that I was growing leadership, but I did know it was the kind of shared leadership we wanted in our culture. And, and now as, as they talk and I listen to them, I can see what was happening. But at the time I wasn't thinking that as much, but I would say to, to school leaders now, that is really important. I mean, that is, we, we need strong leaders in our schools, and it's one of the ways that you grow them. And that's so built on relationship. I mean, 36 years later, that core group is still meeting, still celebrating, still talking, and still leading. And I get to work closely with one of those leaders at the work I do with COSA, Dr. Gracie Branch, who leads our elementary education association here in Oklahoma. So um, thank you for the hard work you did in investing in future leaders who are still investing in raising up leaders themselves. What a legacy. My next question is this, if you you are an, an avid reader, and uh, we have a stack of books sitting right in front of us, and I know that you rely a lot on research, so it may be really hard to choose one, but if you had one book to recommend to education leaders that they should be reading this year, what would that be? Well, you know, of course, I can't choose one. <laughs> uh, but if you want to be a strong leader, you've got to read. You've, you just you can't do that from the seat of your pants and for what you know yourself. You've got to get the the conflict of thought so that you can really think things through. So yeah, I read, read, read. And in the work I do, we do a lot of book studies. And uh, I guess I'll pick one right now that I really um, is a strong model for a book study is in one of the districts we're, we're doing Michael Fullen's uh, Coherence. And the the Participants are teachers in the district, site administrators in the district, and central office people. And we're just doing chapter by chapter. And they come in, we do a quick review, but then there are 20 of them. And then they meet in small groups and talk through the ideas. Then we come back to the whole group. And then we talk about, so what's in the district that looks this way? And what's in the district that needs to look this way more? Uh, It's just, it's a model that really pushes thinking. So choose one. So I would say that, that I couldn't choose one book, but I would choose Michael Fullan because his work is built on being in schools and writing from being in schools. And it's practical. You know, it, it's, it seems a little maybe esoteric as you read it, but if you put those uh, practices in place, achievement goes up and it goes up fast. And so that's the practicality of it. And then, so then, Will, now that I have the microphone, I'll say to you, so I read your book. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say this if I didn't feel this way, but here's what I got from it. It is very readable. You can take it and uh, see it. You can see it in action. Very readable and and extremely practical. Every piece in there fits with uh, work in schools. You You can read a little bit and think, oh, I can... I can go do that. I'll go do that. And by the time you finish the book, you have some really strong practices in place. So I thank you for putting that into our literature. I'm I'm embarrassed, but also I am amazingly honored because Judy Barber's recommendations are ones that um, I take very seriously. And I will repeat the title from the book study that she's doing right now by Michael Fullan called Coherence, The Right Drivers in Action for Schools, Districts, and systems. Check that book out. And if you want to check out my book, obviously you can do that on my website. 
Judy, I don't want to pass up an opportunity to, to give you one last chance to say any other thoughts, ideas, or parting words of guidance or wisdom that you would give to educators. And I want to thank you for the honor of being able to have this conversation with you. But what are some parting words of advice that you would want to give to administrators? And then how can people stay in touch with you if they want to reach out to you and learn more from you? Well, it's easy to sum it up, is that the work we do is so, so very important. And maybe that's why I've continued to, to stay in our profession. The money we get and the money that's, that's not present now is a downer, that's for sure. But the work that we're doing are building the citizens for tomorrow. There's just nothing more important than that. Okay, so reaching out to me, I hadn't thought of that. My email is jbarber920 at gmail.com. And easy for me to return, and I often do. I uh, would love to hear from anybody. But again, those of you who are listening that are, are in schools and working, thank you for the work you do. Well, Judy Barber, thank you for this honor and the opportunity to grow and learn together. And Principal Matters listeners, I will connect all of that information in the show notes from this episode as well as the titles that Judy's mentioned and also some of the specific areas that we talked about that are essential for schools. I'll include those in the show notes too if you want to go back and look at a summary of this conversation. But Judy, thank you so much. I cannot wait to see what is next in store in your leadership journey And Principal Matters listeners, um, thank you for the work that you do, because what you do matters. You know, as we unplugged that laptop and that microphone, I felt like a Jedi educator in training, talking to a Jedi master. And in my weird way of thinking, I couldn't help but imagine that I had just stepped up to an education master and said, hi, I'm... Will Parker from the Movement to Serve Schools and other school leaders have sent me. We need your help. And uh, unlike Luke in the movie I just saw at Christmas, Judy Barber did not fail to step up to the call. Let me encourage you to go back and listen again to those thoughts and check out the show notes at my website at williamdparker.com. And thanks again for learning together. I can't wait to talk to you again soon.